0: Of the new year, Uh, in a moment I'm going to read the scriptures, but I got to. I want to mention that a lot of people are are hurting. Uh, Just, it seems like these last few months, just one thing and then another. Some are more serious than what I'm going to mention. Our our little newest little granddaughter is only two months old. Spent about a week with RSV uh, in a hospital down in Roseburg, but. I think she's going to be fine. Then uh, a bright spot was that my... Uh, Alex called me and he said that my oldest great-grandson had just received Christ and he was thrilled to death about that. Well, then he decides to turn evangelist and he, he wanted to lead his little four-year-old brother to Christ, Aiden of Six. The message was a little off-key that he gave to Colton. And he told Colton, he says, Colton, you're going to go to hell. (laughs) And Colton says, "Aiden, I'm not going to go to hell. I'm a good boy. (laughs) So it's all kind of funny. And I'm a little depressed up here. I hope I can get past it, but I really... Had to come to reality. This week we had one of the or past week, whatever it was. We had to have one of those wellness tests. So they want to take your weight, and uh, I knew what to expect there. But then they wanted to take my height. The gal says five nine. I said what? Well, I'll do it again. She says five nine. I used to be six foot, six foot three inches. Now, I understand why it is in this church. I keep running into these young girls all, who seem to all of a sudden have grown up. I said, honey, are you six foot? She said, they'll say I'm five seven or five 5'8. Now I've got a little man complex. So if you notice a real twist in my personality, it's because I've shrunk. And I'm not feeling good about it. Anyway, glad we can have a little humor. But we do want to pray. Uh, Pray for Jim Schneider, uh, and uh, for Anthony Hart, all these folks, a lot of folks are having a lot of trouble. So let's let's pray for them, pray for the families. Let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, we want to pray for those young and old in our midst, who are in in the midst of health crises. Uh, We pray that your presence might surround them, that they may know your peace and grace, where otherwise there would be no peace and grace except for what you alone can impossibly do. We pray, our Father, for all who are hurting, for some who are traveling. Pray that you'll bring them back to us safely. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, we go continue with John chapter 14, where... We've got a a mission-critical discourse by the Lord Jesus. Let's get the context. It all relates to us. Whether it seems to or not, we'll show you. These disciples are at the Last Supper, we call it. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's been going on for a while. Jesus in hours is going to be arrested then he's going to be abused and subjected to a kangaroo court. Not only accused, but abused. Then they're not going to drag him early in the morning before Pilate and say, you've got to kill this guy. Eventually that happens. Pilate concedes their uh, point of view. So he has Jesus crucified. Now the disciples, although Jesus has been warning them time and again, that this is about to happen. They've been totally confused. And they're still confused. They know something not good is about to happen. But they just can't quite get their heads around it. They, he was to be the Messiah. He is. But it was supposed to take a different shape. Than what they visualized. As I've told you before. They were looking forward to the messianic reign of this descendant of david and at some point he was supposed to make a move and they were even arguing about who's going to sit on his right hand who was going to sit on his left but what jesus has been saying is kind of dark to them and they get it but they don't get it but a lot of this they don't get so as i told you last week imagine a situation where you've got to give your team, whatever it is, mission-critical information to sustain them in the days ahead. That's what Jesus is doing. What he's saying is a little bit circular. It's not linear. One, two, three, four. First, I want to tell you this. Second, I want to tell you this. It's not that kind of thing, but it's all connected. But every bit of it is important to us. So let me start reading with verses actually 13 and go to, through verse 24. Jesus said to them, actually, I'll back up to verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, we talked about this last week. He who believes in me, trusts in me, Jesus said. The works that I do, this includes you, shall he do also. Then he says something astonishing. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to my father. What's the connection there? We'll get that. When I go to my father, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. I'll do it that the father may be glorified in the son. They're thinking what's he talking about? If you ask anything in my name I will do it. Is that true? We got to talk about that. Then Jesus says this and he says it three times. In various connections in this passage. If you love me, do you love Jesus? Are you a follower of His? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father when I go back to be with Him, and He will give you another helper parakletos, helper, advocate, comforter, advisor. And I will ask the Father and He will give you a helper that He may be with you forever. That's not only them, that's us. I'm talking about verse 17, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. It cannot receive Him because it does not behold Him and it does not know Him. It does not understand Him. But you know him because he abides with you right now. And he will be where? In you. Look, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more. But you will behold me. What's he talking about? Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know, you will understand, you will recognize that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. What's that talking about? Second time, boy, when you get this, you know you better underline it two or three or four times. He who has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. All of a sudden, one of the disciples, Judas, not Iscariot, not the one who betrayed him. His name may have, other name may have been Thaddeus. Judas, not Iscariot, he's puzzling it all out. And he says, Lord, what's happened? Something here has shifted. The ground has shifted that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world. Up to this point, Jesus has been with them. If they see him, the world sees him. But all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, the world's not going to see me, but you're going to see me. You're making my head hurt, Judas said. Jesus answered and said to him, there's a connection here. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word third time. And my father will love him. And we will come to him. And make our abode with him. On the other hand. He who does not love me. Does not keep my word. And the word which you hear. Is not mine. But the father who sent me. He who does not love me. Does not keep my word. Now sobering in verses 13 through 14 Jesus tells us something that we all need to take to heart change is in the air he's going to be crucified shortly resurrected and then just a few weeks later he's going to ascend back to be with his father he talks about prayer And he's telling us that our supplications will be honored in heaven. Yours, mine, be honored in heaven as he returns to his father as if they were his own. Jesus was saying, you know, here's been the deal. Put it more elegantly than that. Here's been the deal. We've been together here on earth, boots on the ground. You see me, you touch me. You hear me. And if you need to pray for anything, I did the praying, And I approached my father in heaven and he hears everything I asked for. Now I'm going to be gone. He's going to be gone. He's going to be gone. Yeah, just take it. I'm going to be gone. You're not going to be seeing me visibly, physically. But I want to tell you something, and I want you to take it to heart. This is mission-critical information to this day from that. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my, get that, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. I'll do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When you say, Heavenly Father, will you take care of me? In Jesus' name I pray. I'll do it. Now, we've got some questions there. First of all, we hear that phrase a lot, don't we, around churches? Well, let's all pray. da 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 In Jesus' name, amen. We don't quite get that. Jesus is not saying when you pray, if you'll tack on to the end formally that phrase, in Jesus' name, you'll be heard. To say in Jesus' name what that should mean is that we summon our faith and we approach the throne of grace knowing that His name is our license to pray and our right to be heard before the throne of God. God in heaven, the Father, He wants the Son to be honored. By you and me. To be respected by you and me. And anybody who presumes to come before the throne of God. Asking for grace and mercy or whatever. In time of need as Hebrews says it. He wants us to come in full hearted faith. That is in the name of Jesus. What's the name mean? That means in faith recognizing everything that Jesus is. That he is the son of God. That he is deity in the flesh. That he's full of grace and he's full of truth. That he's our giver and supporter in all things. He wants us to get a full concept and pray in that name. And when I say, you say, in the name of Jesus we pray. He wants that conceptuality of Christ, that full-orbed conceptuality of Christ to be in there. And not just a formal phrase that we say, In Jesus' name. We sometimes forget that. But that is, Jesus says, mission critical information. You guys are going to be here. I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be back in heaven where I came from. And I'll be supporting you from heaven. But I want you to know that you have a license, you have a privilege. To ask whatever is on your mind in my service. To ask those things. But do it in my name. And if you do it that way, you will have what you pray for. Still, that raises questions, doesn't it? We're going to talk about that in a minute. But just remember that. Summon yourself when you go to pray. Because the Father in heaven is glorified in His Son. He wants us to come through His Son. He wants us in our prayers to recognize that Jesus is the all in all, the beginning and the end, the one through whom He created the heavens and the earth and all things therein. In Jesus' name, it's not just a set of syllables. It's a content in His name. So that's our license and privilege in his physical absence. Now we can do it. Come in his name. Let me give you a couple little illustrations of that. Many years ago, after I resigned from teaching at Western Seminary, I had to go back up to the campus for some reason. And one of my colleagues, who had been one of my students back in Bible college, Dr. Robert Vogel, uh, was there. We met up. And we were talking, and I wanted to go over to the campus bookstore. And I said, Bob, I said, uh, I sure missed my bookstore discount that I had as a faculty member. He said, oh, Jim, just go in and tell him I sent you. In other words, go to the bookstore, order what you want in my name. You'll get your discount. I couldn't any longer, because I wasn't employed there, I couldn't any longer just go in and say, Hey, it's Jim. It's Jim, and give me a discount. I didn't have that right. Another short illustration of what it means to come in his name is this. As you know, generally speaking, I go to Naples, Florida for our annual vacation and uh, my late brother lives, his wife still has the place, lives in this towering condominium. Well, I'd, it's gated as those things are. I don't just drive up, look at the gate person, man or woman and say, hi, how are you? They hit the button, open the gate. No, I have to come in in the name of Bernie. Otherwise, I don't have access. You say, "Well, I'm Jim Andrews." Well, that's okay, but they got to know that I'm coming in his name. It's the same way of going to going to the throne of God. Some people don't like that. Well, you mean my prayers aren't as good as his presence? No, they're not. Not unless you come in the name of Jesus. The Father wants His Son honored in spirit and in truth. Come in His name consciously, not with just a little formal phrase. I ask this in the name of Jesus. But what about this business, whatsoever you ask in my name? I'll do it for you. Well, let's talk about that. This is what it's called, I'm gonna use a term. This is what we call a contextual absolute, something like a generalization. Let me give you a, a made up illustration. I got a church Let's say in our church, he owns a chain of clothing stores. I Wish you did, whoever you are. He loves the Lord and he always wants to help. After all, let's say, I'm the one who led this fellow John Doe to Christ. So one day he tells me, Pastor Jim, I'd like to do something for you. I want you to I want to invite you to come into my stores whenever you need some clothes. We always want our pastor to look presentable on Sundays, you know. So just tell the staff that you are my pastor and that Mr. Doe invited you to get clothes at his expense whenever you needed them. That's good. That's obviously a contextual absolute. Mr. Doe's interest was a presentable pastor. He didn't mention my wife my family, nor did he imply that I should back up a U-Haul and carry off the whole store. The spirit of his invitation, any simpleton should understand, was just to relieve a pastor of the financial burden of always having to restock his pastoral wardrobe, not to break the bank. This promise, whatever you ask in my name, I will do for you. Has both an explicit or implicit condition. Limiter. First the implicit one. Whatever you ask in my name. It's that the father may be glorified. Clearly petitions that are not prayed with this assumed interest. And do not serve that purpose. Will not be honored i never enters my mind if i go before god in jesus name and i ask for a lamborghini i'm going to get it that's not going to happen john 4 tells us that believers' prayers are sometimes not answered for this very reason tells us that those prayers are not answered because they're selfish and they're not God-honoring prayers. People often ask for things that they may consume, James tells us, upon their lusts or desires. They're seeking their own carnal interest. John himself, who wrote three epistles, explicitly acknowledges the built-in condition limiter. In John 3, he adds a clause. When we pray, if we ask anything, According to his will. That's always there. He hears us. Oh, somebody says with an air of disappointment if that's the way it is, if that's a limitation, that has about as much chance of succeeding as buying a winning lottery ticket. That's not the case at all. That condition, if we ask anything according to his will, is a form of grace. It makes prayer safe. Otherwise, praying would be like putting a loaded gun into the hands of a baby. So prayer has a safety lock, if according to his will, like a gun. I don't know about you, but it's good to know that God in his mercy will not honor those sincere, well-meaning petitions that will come back to hurt or haunt us or others. If we really want to honor God, if we really seek from Him whatever it is that we believe we need to serve Him better, isn't it just wonderful to know that God will fulfill any petition with which He concurs and will turn aside any prayer that's not in His interest or ours? I always like to say when it comes to prayer, his no's are better answers every time than what my yes would have been. God hears our prayers, but he doesn't hear when they're contrary to his interest or ours. An illustration, one I made up. We want all our children to inherit the best possible life, don't we? or our grandchildren or great-grandchildren. We think rightly or wrongly in all of our wisdom that we have a pretty good idea of what building blocks it would take to assure them a bright and healthy future. Some very wise, powerful, and inexhaustibly rich person comes up to us for some reason. Use your own imagination. They invite us to ask anything we need in behalf of our kids' future well-being. I'll supply that. The only condition that it must really be in their best interest. (sighs) Sir, I've worked so hard all my life. I've worked night and day, and if there's any other space, I've worked there too. It's been about to kill me I would just like my kids to have enough means, that if they don't want to, they'd never have to work another day in their life. Would it really deflate us if he refused that request? It shouldn't. Some would have said, be careful what you pray for. You might get it. The person who prays in the true spirit of in his name never has to worry about getting what he he or she prayed for. Our wise God is a benevolent filter. His no's are much superior to our yes's. Throughout my life, I could just... I could just write a whole lot. And you know those have been here a long time because you've heard it from the pulpit, of prayers that God has answered. It's just been stunning. But there are a lot out there that I've prayed and they're still out there or they're denied. I'll give you one example. For years and years, I have had As a pastor would or should. I've had visions of things that I would like to do. I'd like to see the church do. Money, money, money. Just the way the world is. You can't do anything you might envision. Without having the necessary resources. Well, years ago. Before I got long in a tooth. I started praying. Still am. That the Lord would give us. A -a megaton gift. I'm talking about millions. And. Somebody somewhere. Maybe through radio. Maybe. Somebody in the church. Did have one lady tell me one time. She had 40 million dollars. She's not here any longer. Nothing against her. I pray that prayer, and I pray that because the things I've envisioned still yet while I've got breath, I would like to see some of these things happen. But to take money, as I said. But I always pray this. Lord, you know what's good for our church. And I don't. Even I can see good reasons why you might not want to answer that prayer. So your will be done, not mine. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed as he faced the cross. Saw it all. He said, Father, if possible in your plan and scope of thinking, what is good if this cup can pass from me? I would like that. But that didn't happen because it was necessary for him to go to the cross. So in your prayer life, Jesus is telling his disciples, you're going to go on. I'm not going to be with you. I'm going to be with your father in heaven just as he is with us. But here's my promise to you. Mission critical information. From now on, you've got a license to pray. Do it in my name. Do it in the four sense that that phrase means. All that I am, pray in my name. And you've got this assurance that whatever you ask, in order that the Father might be glorified, you'll get. That's still true. If you pray anything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it will honor God, and it will honor God, And if it'll be for your good, because he's about your good. And he wants you conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's good in his interest, in your interest, it'll happen. But you and I, in the most sincere way, often pray without understanding. We don't mean wrong, but we pray for things that would not be good for us or would not be good for our children, that ultimately would not be for the glory of God. It's all right to pray them, but understand that God measures our prayers by his interest, your interest, and his no may be his answer, and it'll be better than your yes or my yes. Sometimes we pray for health. Oh, Lord, please, please. And the Lord says, no, for you I've ordained sickness. Sometimes we may pray for life for ourselves or for our loved ones. And the Lord says, no, it'll glorify me more. It'll serve my interest on earth more if I take your life. You ever thought of James, one of the 12 apostles? The Lord had him with him for three years. And what happened? He barely got his boots on the ground and Herod executed him and he became the first martyr of the church. Lord, he went to waste. No, he didn't. He became the first great hero of the church. There's More to it than that. Sometimes we ask for life, and the Lord says, no, it's going to be death. Lord, let me do this. i just love to do this. The Lord says, no, that'll be better. If it's according to his will. if it's prayed in his interest in the great name of the Lord Jesus Christ in full faith in that great name it'll happen if it doesn't happen sometimes it's just delayed i've had prayers be answered 20 years later 20 years maybe more so now we have a caveat a no fly zone jesus in verse 15 strongly reiterates three times the need to keep it real or no deal are you authentic are you the real deal your pastor many a man who sits in my place is as phony as a three dollar bill. Sometimes they know it, sometimes they don't know it. Sometimes they're heretics. They don't they don't even get it. And many a person sitting in the pews of any given church. They're church people. They're not God's people. They actually fundamentally do not love God. They do not love the Savior. So Jesus is saying as he gives these promises, everything is on this condition that you're the real deal. Let me read. If you love me, I'll tell you what you'll do. I'll tell you how you'll verify that. You will get baptized, come to church and sing songs and go to prayer meetings and this, that, and this. Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. You'll take me seriously, what I said. Well, so many of our churches today, it's not the first time in history, lapse into what we call the cheap grace mode or easy believism. The idea, yeah, I accept Jesus as my Savior. Well, come right here, we'll baptize you, or maybe not baptize you. But now you know Him. Maybe, maybe not. Now, everybody hear me. I'm about to make an absolutely crucial distinction. Before I go on, we are saved by God's grace through faith, Alone. No conditions, no nothing. We are saved by God's grace through faith alone. That comes from Ephesians chapter two. But the faith by which we are saved, and that's what Jesus is saying, is not alone. We believers, all of us who profess to be, including the pastor, we need to check our oil from time to time. The test of true love of Jesus is not touchy-feely, swells of emotion, tears down our eyes to the strain of praise songs. Some people are very emotional. Nothing wrong with that. They get into that. But the true test of spiritual reality is behavioral. Do we do what Jesus has taught us to do? Nobody gets it all right, but there is integrity. Do you, my friend, whoever you are in this church, if you attend Lake Bible Church or I don't care who you are. Are you a person who takes the Lord Jesus seriously? If you know he taught it, do you try to walk it? You're human, your feet slips, your mouth slip. your feelings slip. And sometimes, oh, gee, that was not Christian, that was not Christ-like. You know that, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. Do you take him seriously, his word, his teaching? Let me put it this way. He told us what to believe. Do we believe what he told us to believe? He's told us what to do. Do we do what God's Word tells us to do? Do we go where God's Word has told us to go? Do we do that? Do we try to do that? Sometimes we get all mixed up. That happens. God's merciful. He'll get us straightened out. But is that our heart? Or are we just into casual, nominal Christianity? Christ, 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 Jesus, Jesus, God, 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 all that sort of stuff. We come and we just do the stuff. And we go and we do whatever the devil we want to do. If it's our marriage, if it's our children, we just trash them. If it's our business, we do not operate ethically. If it's our morals, really sketchy. Or terrible? Do we live Christianly? Do we seriously try to please God from daylight till we go to bed? And when we miss a step, does it make us miserable when we feel badly? And we repent, which he accepts. If not, we're a bag of religious gas on Sunday morning. Do we walk the talk or just talk the walk? Real faith manifests itself in real love for God. There is not an honest-to-goodness believer on the planet Earth who does not love God, who does not love Jesus. There's no such thing. Father, Son, and Spirit, real love for God shows itself in integrity of life taking up our cross, whatever that means at any given time, and following Christ wherever he leads. He said that three times in this passage. Missing that point, we're just ghosting the Christian life. The suit is there, but there's nobody in it. I want to show you what a serious problem that is. Years ago, long before any of you ever set foot in this church, I had some really peculiar people here on our staff. I take responsibility because I had some part in getting them here. Dummy. One of them one day put in my box a paper for me to read about performance-based Christianity. And he thought that's what I was talking about, I was saying the things that We're saved by grace through faith. Yes, brother, we're saved by grace through faith, but we're saved by grace through a faith that's not alone. Jesus said this, how plain does he have to be? It was so bad with that crowd. I heard myself saying this on radio the other day. It was so bad with that crowd that some of them, felt spiritually abused by me teaching exactly what I'm teaching. In fact, there were three ladies who met for a prayer meeting weekly and they prayed against their pastor an imprecatory prayer. God damn him. Yeah, literally. Because of me teaching what Jesus taught right here. Every one of their lives went shipwrecked because they don't get it. I want everybody that I'm responsible for to get it. I am saved by God's grace through faith. Through faith alone, not of myself, not of yourself. But if that faith is real, it will express itself in love for God. Faith operates, Galatians says, in love. Love for you, love for God. And love expresses itself in following Jesus. You know, of course, us and I are long married. But like most of you wives, she doesn't want talk. Many marriages wreck on this rock. She doesn't want talk. She did not tell me this every day. Just every other day. No, I'm kidding. She wants my talk to match up with walk. She doesn't want me to say, honey, I love you. That's fine. Some wives really need to hear that. But what she really wants is for my actions to match the love that I express and vice versa. So it is with our Lord. Do you love him? If you have faith, you will love him. Love can be on a scale. But there is love. And if we love him, we seriously want to honor him by the way we walk. And Jesus says, if you love me, My Father will love you. Let me read this so we get it very carefully. He who has my commandments, verse 21, and keeps them, that's the person who loves me. There is no other standard. There is no other standard. That's the person who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And then here's something. I will disclose myself to him. That's where intimacy will come. How many of you in your heart, I expect a lot of you, you love the Lord and you just really want to be closer to Him. You want intimacy with Him. You want to feel that intimacy, that closeness to God. How does it come? Well, some people want to go to a power evangelism meeting where there's signs and wonders or so they think. Some people want to go to a conference where this, that happened. They get all jazzed and they hear loud music, sound, you know, a sound and light show. They want to, tears, people standing in the aisles, they want to get close to God. It evaporates as soon as they hit the door. Let me tell you how you get close to God. How God gets close to you. I'm going to put it as simple as you ever heard it. Do what he says. Do what he says. Take him seriously. Sunday through Saturday. Just get in the groove. Go where he told you to go. Do what he told you to do. Be what he told. Be what he told you to do. Be a Christian. That's the way you now. Some people have made profound. I'm going to be here within an hour. No. Hang on. Some people. Need to get this. You. Some people just aren't the real deal. They're church people. They're churchy. There's nothing wrong. There's everything right about being in a church and being involved, sharing the fellowship and getting strengthened in the bond. Everything right about that. But sometimes that's as far as it goes. It's all about community, it's not about Christ. They don't know the Lord from a bunny rabbit, and it's in every church, every church. Some churches more so than others. But then there's another problem that some of you may have, and I want to explain that problem to you. Some of us are like little kids. You've seen them. They're out there, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. trying to take them along what are the kid's doing they're doing what the dog does you've seen dogs and kids they're trying to pull mom and dad off the path because they see something they want to see and they want to go where they want to go and they want to do what they want to do and whoever's got them on a the leash is trying to pull them some of us spiritually are like that we just don't want to get fully in the game because we've got the things that we're interested in we've got the things that we want to do we want to go where we want to go, when we should be going there, when we should be doing this, when we should be doing that. I've seen so many. Gee, I could go on here for hours. But I've seen so many fall off the path because they were running so well. I saw one lady here. Man, they were so in the game, it appeared to be. But she wanted to go to nursing school. There's nothing wrong. My granddaughter just finished that. Nothing wrong with that. But all of a sudden, all the important things start going sideways. Or they meet a man, or they meet a boy, or they meet a girl, and they're interested in them. Their heart's all wrapped around them. And they start veering from the path. Or God has asked them to do this or do that in that relationship. Stay out of bed till you're married. Can't do that. Now, it's possible that some of those folks are believers, and if they're believers, the Spirit of God, they're grieving the Spirit of God, and he will have them under discipline because they're not loving God in the way they ought to love God. And so the love, Ephesians, the Ephesian church in Revelation, the love that they had at first goes down. Instead of being joyful within them and confirming them, the Spirit of God is grieved. They don't feel intimate with God. They don't feel the Spirit of God, God through His Spirit, warming them. And disclosing himself to them. Manifesting himself to them. They don't feel that. Now feelings aren't always reliable. That's another story. But some of you may be in that very spot. Well go look in the mirror this afternoon. Or right now. Or later. Look in the mirror. And say. How much of the time am I doing what I want to do? Going where I want to go. Thinking the way I want to think. Rationalizing this sin or that sin won't work. Won't work. If you want to be close to God, if you want Him manifesting Himself to you, get on His page. Those that really love Him really want to please Him. Well, that's as far as I can go. You're going too far already, Bob. But other than coming to know Christ, you'll probably not hear a more important message. I don't want you to be deceived. He doesn't want you to be deceived. Three times he comes back and he nails that. Critical mission information. I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be in heaven with my father. I'm going to send you the spirit. He says that. But I want you to know, I don't want you to kid yourself. I don't want you to be a fake. I want you to be the real deal because you're not going to serve me unless you are. Not going to happen. If you love me, do what I say. Go where I say to go. Do what I say to do. Get on my page. Take up your cross. Pain and humiliation, whatever it takes, just get on my page and follow me. Well, that'll mean a whole lot less money. That's not important. I won't have as much standing or as much presence. That's not important. What's important is knowing Him, following Him, and doing what He says to do. That's the important thing. I invite you, if you don't know Him, to receive Him, but I tell you, there's more to it than just saying, okay, I take Jesus. Where's the baptism? When I get the baptism. I take Jesus. All right. I've got my rabbit's foot. I'm going to heaven and not hell. Not so unless that faith is real. That faith is not real. It's not the real deal. Unless it follows. Faith Follows. And in the average church, the average church, probably half the people don't follow. Sobering. I can say that after 60 years in the ministry. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You for sending Him. We thank You that He... Was crucified, resurrected, and ascended back, and is now in his heavenly session, waiting to come again. Meanwhile, supporting us with heaven who approach your throne in his great name. Now we pray that we'll take this sobering message to heart. In his great name and all that is, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jim, for those challenging words for a subject that's really difficult to navigate. John's not here this morning to lead us in clapping for Jim, but we're all clapping in our hearts, right? Very, very encouraging. Thank you. <clears throat> um, I mean, I was just sitting there thinking to myself how often I'll go and do what I want to do, and then I'll sit down and pray, Lord, would you please bless this? It's putting the cart in front of the horse. You know, we want to ask the Lord and get close to Him and obey Him so that we know what to pray, so we can pray according to His will, and He will answer our prayers in that fashion. Romans 12 says,